0: You are listening to Keep Canada Weird, a weekly weird news roundup by the Nighttime Podcast.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the weekly Keep Canada Weird discussion series. If you're new here, Keep Canada Weird is the venue in which my pal, handsome Aaron Airport and I seek out and explore the more offbeat Canadian news stories that caught our eye over the past week. In tonight's episode, which we recorded on April 16th, 2023, Aaron and I unpack yet another collection of Canadian-styled WTF. We discuss some recent rum and butter bar madness, we're going to hear of the Edmonton man who found himself stuck in balls, we're going to break down two stories of taxis gone wild, and then we'll consider taking out the world's largest rubber duck. So let's get into it. handsome Aaron Airport you got a big smile on your face is there something you haven't told me
2: I haven't told you that I loved you
1: oh Uh.
2: for a reason (laughs) um because you worry that I would not connect with you on zoom anymore I'm worried about complicating our working relationship okay yeah
1: well I think that's fair to say so I'm gonna forget I didn't hear any of that
2: yeah, it never happened.
1: Yeah. Uh, how have you been? What's new? Did anything happen over the weekend that's mentionable?
2: Uh, it's been a busy weekends. I was at a, a fundraiser last night for um, the Center for Craft and Design here in Cape Breton. It was like a, a wine tasting fundraiser. So you paid uh, your ticket price and you got to taste as much wine as you can stomach.
1: Ah, I picture like when you go to a real wine tasting, you're not supposed to swallow it, right? You just put it in your That's mouth That's right, and you're supposed
2: spit to out. spit it out. But no, this is a swallow event.
1: Well, I'm glad you went to a wine tasting type
2: thing. Yeah, Congratulations. Yeah. You it have a, a big time.
1: You have a big week coming up as well. I mm-hmm. I am hoping to be able to go home and see you, but why don't you tell uh, the Keep Canada weird audience what you're doing? Maybe they'll want to check it out.
2: Maybe they will, actually, yeah. There's still tickets available. We're um... Our band, The Gordons, are we're a Bare Naked Ladies tribute band. So we are doing three shows this week at the Highland Arts Theater in Sydney, Nova Scotia. So we're doing um, the 18th, 19th, and the 21st. That's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday.
1: And you're just playing? Are you going to be playing the Bare Naked Ladies album, Gordon, start to finish? Is that the plan? That's
2: what we're doing. We're playing. We did this show once this past August. And so now we've brought it back for three nights. So what we do is we play the entire, their first studio album, Gordon. We play it from beginning to end, note for note. Um, and then we've got some surprises as well. That uh, And new surprises for anyone who saw the show already back in August. Uh, we've got some new, new surprises. Some new, new surprises. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So there's, um, you know, the shows are starting to fill up. The The seats are starting to... To, tickets are starting to be sold, so but uh, there's still tickets available for anybody who wants to check it out.
1: Fantastic.
2: Um, well, that's
1: a big week for you coming up. If I can get there, I'm going to. We'll see. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a bi- uh, I'd love to chat all day about the concerts this week, but uh, we got a big show to get to. We have we to do. keep Canada weird. But before we talk about the stories we're going to be covering and get into that, we do have something between listener mail and an update to an old story, Keep Canada Weird, covered. Uh, so let's start with the listener mail both relate to the same topic this is from
3: mike hey jordan and aaron it's mike from coal harbor i just wanted to make a comment about uh, your keep canada weird episode where you talked about the uh, cemetery that was going through a labor dispute um you had mentioned that the gates at the cemetery were locked and there was musings about who had done that um My opinion is that that had to have been done by the owners or the management of the cemetery because it would be illegal for the workers to do it. Um, And that would have been the story, that the union was illegally keeping people out of the cemetery. Um, Plus, that would have also given uh, the owners and the management of the cemetery... Uh, the legal right to apply for an injunction against the picketers for their illegal actions. So I just wanted to point that out, Uh, keep up the great work and I can't wait to listen to you guys again. Take care. Bye-bye. So
2: you remember that story about the, I do remember that story. Yeah.
1: Long story short, there was a graveyard in Montreal, a large graveyard that um, the employees of the graveyard, And the owners of the graveyard were in like a kind of a a dispute about the renewal of a contract. The graveyard ended up being locked and people couldn't see their loved ones for months and months. Mm -hmm. If I recall, we talked about who locked it. Was it the workers or the owners? Uh, Based on that voicemail memo memo from Mike, seems like he's been through a couple like tough contract negotiations or something, right? Like I don't something about the way he was talking. It seemed like he knows all about workers shutting
2: down businesses versus Businesses shutting themselves down. What's your read on that? Yeah, it, it did seem like Mike was speaking from a place of experience, which mm. is nice because you and I do not do that. We speak from a place of complete ignorance on yeah. these stories. Yeah. Uh, yeah, off
1: the seat of our pants, I think is the. Way I don't
2: think that's the. That's phrase. Not the, the phrase. <laughs> no, no, um, but yeah, here, here we go again. You know, we're speaking from complete ignorance here I on should... just general. Common phrases. <laughs> I should have researched phrases.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I just Google phrases. So when Mike sent me that voice memo um, where he gives his opinion on who would have locked the people out of the graveyard, that led me to think like, huh, I wonder what the news is with that graveyard. Is that strike and that lockout mm-hmm. still happening? Uh, so I did some Googling and sure enough, there's been updates just as of two weeks ago. Listen two to this. Two weeks. Wow. This recent. is fresh. This is okay. breaking
2: news. All right, let's cover it.
0: Notre Dame-de-Neige Cemetery reopened this morning for the first time in months. Families have been unable to visit their loved ones since January, but the hours are restricted and people are still upset.
1: Finally, after three months, the cemetery is once again open to family members, but only from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. For those who did come today, many found unplowed roads and walkways cemetery staff are on strike
3: and say if management gets their way the situation will only get worse they just want to cut everywhere on the salary for sure but for the numbers of people if we accept this it's going to be the beginning of the the beginning of the end the cemetery will be abandoned like a forest
1: the battle here continues for the families who want more access to their loved ones and for the workers who've been without a contract now for more than four years yeah so quick update is it's reopened, but the tr- problem dispute still...
2: is still going on.
1: Yeah, but at least they found a way. Although it's on reduced hours, at least they found a way for people to get in there and see the people, the you know, the graves of those they love that they haven't been able to see since about Christmas time. So it's it's yeah. kind of nuts. Something like I get the um, need to stand up for yourself and for union members to stick together and stuff and. It's just like with a the, with the graveyard in the middle of it. I don't know. There's something it just, I don't know mm-hmm. who's right or what the answer is, but uh, yeah, it's, at least people can see their loved ones, I guess.
2: Yeah. I'm just glad that, you know, because a lot of the, when we originally covered that story, a lot of the uh, people, like the family members who couldn't get in to see their deceased loved ones, it was heartbreaking
4: yeah. listening yep. to their
2: story. And Certainly. Uh, you really felt mostly for them, like that more than anybody else so <laughs> you i'm just glad that they're back in you know and let yeah. the let management and the workers figure out the rest of it but at yeah. least they can get in there and see the graves yeah I about four years of contract
1: negotiation good luck figuring that out but anyway we're not going to solve that tonight so let's get to what we can do and that is keep canada weird we mm. got a full card we're going to talk about some rum and butter bar madness We're going to talk about a man stuck in a pile of balls. We're going to hear about taxis going wild. And then briefly, we'll touch on the story of one massive
2: rubber duck. You prepared Mm. for this? I'm ready. You know,
1: I, I think I'm excited about the rum and butter bar madness. Do you want to start with that?
2: Let's do it. Yeah, yeah
1: have you ever heard of a rum and butter bar
2: is this new? I, to- no I've
1: never heard of them I haven't either but when I see the I, I would say the cover design but when I see the package of the bar it does strike me as familiar so maybe this was something that existed when we were a kid or something but mm-hmm. it's basically it looks like something like uh If you're familiar with a caramel bar, it looks a lot like a caramel bar as far as the actual bar itself. But what ended up happening was some time ago, these bars have been discontinued. They were no longer being made. And of course, nostalgia is a a powerful thing. So what ended up happening is a a woman out west found a way to get the rum and butter bar back on store shelves. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's isn't going smoothly. She found herself in a bit of trouble. So let's listen to the news report and then we'll talk about this. Yeah.
0: Rum and butter. It's a retro treat revived by Camrose's Crystal Westergaard. One of my friends says, everything is better with rum and butter. When it launched in 2021, it was an instant hit. It just brings back memories of childhood. But too much of a good thing during the pandemic slowdown. Production fell way behind the orders we were getting. And then when they could catch up, they made a whole bunch at once. And that was last June. So while we have all these extra chocolate bars that are dated for June. Now a Calgary warehouse is chock full of chocolate. She's got 133,000 of these bars stuck in a warehouse that she needs oh, to get no, rid of. Oh no.
1: <laughs> you're kidding. Uh, well, I'm, 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 I don't think she'll have any problem,
0: really. It's a sweet tooth fantasy, a Candyland quandary. A real-life dream of Willy Wonka proportions. Wow.
4: Mmm, very good.
0: Give out a lot at Halloween, I guess. But getting rid of all these bars is harder than you think. I hope that to charities that know how to ship large food stuffs step forward and take them from us. End to end, it's enough to go from the Calgary Tower to the airport. One. Palette would probably be a person's lifetime supply because there's eleven over eleven thousand chocolate bars on one palette.
3: Eleven
0: thousand at a time. Yeah, Yikes. She just Go wants there. them to be enjoyed. Interestingly enough, in Canada, you don't even have to put a date on your chocolate bars. Chocolate bars are considered a safe foodstuff. Meaning, yes, they're still good after June. That date is so grocers can keep track of their stock. Mmm. Mm-hmm. Time to cash in your golden ticket if you can help out. Norma Reed, Global News.
1: Oh, so they have 130,000 of these bars mm-hmm. that are scheduled, and I'm using air quotes, scheduled to expire in like a little over a month. But you, you heard in the report, as as the as she said, is in Canada, you don't even need to put an expiration date. But I guess having it on there. That was a big mistake now that, you know, the bars are reaching that date.
2: Yeah, well, the grocery stores, I guess, make you do it. Like, you don't have to to sell a chocolate bar in Canada. But if you want to sell one at a grocery store, you do have to have the best before date.
1: Hmm. Yeah,
2: well, that
1: sucks for them. 130,000 bars. What are they going to do, Aaron? What's your idea?
2: Oh, like, remember uh, Scrooge McDuck? And how he would jump into his big giant pit of money?
1: Yeah, all the coins. He'd swim around. He'd he'd spit them all out too. Like he. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so what I think she should do is set up like a place for the public to to pay a cover charge to come in and jump into the pile of bars,
1: mm. and
2: uh, you like know a, take bites and swim in it. Uh,
1: and, or they could fill a jacuzzi and do like a human fondue, like a hot tub full mm-hmm. of bars, and you could. I would pay money to climb into like a big pool of hot chocolate (laughs) how much would you pay i would pay thirty dollars that's it i guess but well here's the thing though is i wouldn't do it afterwards like after someone else like if someone was in there before me i wouldn't go in the chocolate that someone other than like maybe my family has been in so i guess yeah i'd pay like 30 to 50 dollars to go into a fresh unspoiled
2: hot tub Full of melted chocolate, but they could do them to be able to replace the chocolate. Every time somebody jumps in, that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of human resources required Mm. to do that. Um, so then if they're only charging $30 for Jordan to jump into the jacuzzi of, of, of melted chocolate, then they have to get rid of that chocolate and then only charge $30 for the next person. That's well, not a lot of money. Just an idea.
1: is, th- It's only one batch of bars that are dated for this date in June of 2023. They plan to continue to produce the bars. Like I have one in my hand here that shows an expiry date of November. So they obviously have batches after mm. this problematic June batch. But why could they not just go send them out to every major city in Canada and just go around downtown and just pass them out to people and say like, here, try one of these bars. You know, if you like it, buy it in stores. And it just seems like it's a better thing to do than going on the news. Like, we cannot sell these bars because that seems like bad publicity
2: for rum and yeah. butter bars,
1: although it did inspire me to buy one.
2: Well, it's the effort that that would take, like the human efforts. So yeah, but- they would have to send those. So you would have to have willing participants to receive the bars and then they go out and hand them out in their city
1: well you know what she's running a bar factory in business this isn't uh, like this weekend hobby or something you got it got to spend some money to make some money this is an advertising opportunity better than being on tv
2: she's already well i mean she's already started the advertising
1: and i bought one just
2: yeah and you bought one and you fell for it because you're so (laughs) weak-minded
1: Um, but you don't need this big story to get me to buy like a new bar or a new bag of chips. What gets me is limited edition flavors. Like if there's Doritos that are like, you know, for the month of, I don't know, for Christmas, we have uh, candy cane flavored Doritos. I'd be like, that sounds gross, but I'm going to buy them. But mm-hmm. anyway, let's, uh, I I bought this bar for one reason. Because I want to try one. And, yeah, yeah. And I'm I also, excited
2: to, to see this.
1: I got my sidekick, my 10-year-old boy here. And he is a connoisseur when it comes to chocolate he's only 10 but don't let his age fool you this guy i think has that's had,
2: the perfect age for someone to review chocolate because but, that's the key demographic
1: that's true but as far as experience this guy has had more chocolate than his years would ever lead you to believe uh but i don't know if he's the target demographic for this bar because what no, I've heard maybe is, not that bar. yeah this bar is like uh kind of for older people um how but, old here uh 60 and up. all right so bud i'll take one you take one and i'll take one at the same time you didn't say hi do you want to say hi to everybody hi <laughs> that wasn't awkward
2: okay cheers yeah all and let's right. talk
1: through it as you eat it
2: mm. initial impressions um
0: Morgan. weird but good
1: it's yeah oh yeah actually i don't like it
2: oh is it got mo- it's got. It's it got kind of a, an. I think the taste. rum
1: kind of thing is happening what i think what it is is yeah. it's like a caramel bar but it's not as sweet. It has a bit more um, b- punch to it. What do you think? I
0: like
1: it. Have you ever had chocolate mm. you didn't like?
0: Uh, dark chocolate.
1: Yeah. It's not dark chocolate, so it gets a pass right? Thank you, bud. Oh, yeah. I like dark chocolate. Oh, the... Um, Yeah. Rum and butter bar. I would say it's not for everybody. Did you, you know, at Christmas, you get... Uh, like those chocolates that have like alcohol in them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Obviously this is called rum and butter, but this tastes like those, like it's, it's like good for a second as you're biting through the chocolate. And then there's this kind of like weird alcohol kind of taste that hits you or something. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Maybe I'll eat a, a few crates of them and then tell my family what I really think about them. <laughs> yeah.
1: If anyone sees them in the wild, these rum and butter bars, maybe help this poor lady out with
2: 130,000, 133,000 bars. Yeah. A couple. Yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean maybe they're just not great bars you know maybe maybe that's the real problem here is that well there's no one cares there has to be a reason why they
1: they have been gone for 20 years or whatever it is
2: yeah and then people are remembering like oh yeah i forgot none of us cared about that bar and never want to see it again i remember seeing that on the shelves and not buying it because i didn't like it yeah i remember seeing (laughs) dusted rum and butter bars yeah just being carried away by rats. So
1: this lady with 133,000 chocolate bars needs help. But there's also someone who may need may need even more help. Fortunately, the authorities and first responders were there to help him out of a jam that involved some balls. This man got stuck in balls. Are you familiar with this? uh, I wouldn't call it a roadside monument, just like this oh, it's an art installation. This art installation. Have you ever heard of this place before? No, know anything no. about this. Nothing. It's. Uh, this is Edmonton. Is it Edmonton that this is in? I'm pulling out my notes here for this. This. Uh, yeah. It's. A, it's. A. A pile of balls in Edmonton that they call the Talus Dome. I think mm-hmm. people who are listening from Edmonton know what this is because apparently there's been quite a few problems at the Talus Dome. It kind of. We'll play the story in a second, but for someone who is listening and not seeing anything that I'm displaying on screen, is the Talus Dome looks like a pile of gigantic metallic marbles or something like really shiny um, metallic balls. It has a sort of vibe that uh, remember everyone was installing those weird monoliths, whatever mm-hmm, they were called. Mm-hmm. Like it was just these metal like kind of monolithic structures that were appearing all over the place. This kind of seems like the round version of that. Uh, The Talus Dome and these balls have been in Edmonton for several years now. There have been many problems related to them, but I dare say that the most Keep Canada Weird appropriate problem happened just last week. Listen to this. All right.
0: Well, someone found out the hard way that one of the most popular art installations in Edmonton is meant to look at, not get inside of. The shiny chrome balls called Talis Dome was the scene of a pretty dramatic rescue Sunday night. As David Owosik reports, while the artwork will need repairs, the person pulled out will need a lawyer.
4: If art speaks to you, there's a pretty good chance it's not often yelling help. But on Sunday night, rescue crews were called to the shiny balls on the bridge known as Talus Dome. Someone got caught inside after standing on top and then they couldn't get out.
3: Uh, Definitely a first for me, yeah.
4: It was taken apart and a person popped out, not looking at all like he'd had a ball.
3: We were
1: not able to get them out the way they went in, just due to the angles. So the TR guys were using some of our heavy equipment. Quite a lot of bit of steel in there, so it took us a little while.
4: Police say they've laid a charge of mischief over $5,000 for the damage created. One city councillor says it tied up fire crews for more than an hour, caused unneeded repair to the $600,000 artwork, and sent a message he assumed everyone already knew. I don't think they're intended to climb on, so in case any of the other 1 million people in the city weren't uh, tuned into that, don't climb on the talus balls. Bad idea. Well, this is the first time we've heard of any balls being busted talus dome is no stranger to disrespect in the 12 years since it was installed on the southeast edge of the Quinnell bridge the balls have been defaced and dented yellowed and now hollowed the question of whether or not they'll ever be left alone tough to answer says one man specifically assigned to protect them
3: nothing seems to last in this city I don't want to say it's the people here but it, it seems to be that nothing's appreciated almost.
4: He and his colleagues are now in charge of another installation to encircle the balls of Talus Dome. They call it 8 foot galvanized steel fence. <laughs> that
1: uh, that news journalist really gets it. He was cracking me up. Uh, but I think who stole the show in that whole piece there is the uh, the fella who uh, was putting up the fence, they interviewed him, and he's just like, "It's just the I don't know if it's the people here. Like he was yeah, so down yeah. on the city can't of have Edmonton.
2: anything nice here in Edmonton. Everyone <laughs> ruins it.
1: He's not the in charge of tourism, I don't imagine. Um, no,
2: but that's the thing about art installations like this. A lot of them are just begging to be vandalized.
1: It seems it right.
2: So when you're deciding, like, okay, you know, we want to put something kind of we want something here maybe to put some culture and some art and you know some some aesthetic to an area yeah it's it's a hard decision to make and it's and it's hard to figure out which one is going to what's going to effectively kind of get across what you want but also attract the least amount of trouble at the same time Mm -hmm. because installations like this are just like you know, a teenager walking by with, with, with spray cans, you know, you know, spray paint in his, in his backpack. is just like, I can't help myself. Yeah, I have to paint it.
1: Yeah. And like, it, and when you look at the picture of the talus dome or the talus balls, it is an invitation to be climbed on. Like if no, I was absolutely, like, I'm sure those are climbed on morning, noon, and night by passing by, Children and no amount of signage or discouragement is going to prevent people from climbing it. I think when you build something like that in a public area, yeah, it needs to look good and serve its aesthetic purpose or its artistic purpose, but it needs to be safe for people who aren't going to look out for themselves, like this yeah, guy. Who cause there will who,
2: always be those people.
1: Yeah, and uh, I, I saw a separate interview with the man who was arrested for in charge of mischief and the damaging the property that was had to be rescued from inside the dome. And so, again, for anyone who doesn't see it, it is kind of dome-shaped, made up of a whole bunch of balls, but it's hollow in the center. What he claims is that he climbed to the top of it to take a picture. But what ended up happening was he managed to fall down between two of the balls mm-hmm. into the sculpture, but then couldn't get out of it because he's now like caught like a rat in a rat trap sort of thing, like where they would fall in and they can't get back out or a yeah. lobster trap. I guess it would be another. a lobster trap is more the. Uh, Yeah, that's the better analogy. But anyway, he was in there and what he said in the interview I saw with him is that he had a friend who was outside that was talking to him and keeping him calm as he was panicking and trying to get out of there. But all those balls are like these big metal things that are welded together. There's no way he's getting them out uh,
2: or he's knocking something out and getting out no, of there no no when you're in there you just gotta wait right. until yeah like the fire department comes to i think rescue uh,
1: you. yeah i think that i saw a video of the rescue it looked like they were using the jaws the jaws of life that they would use to pry people out of cars after car accidents it looks like they were using something like that to pull a couple or one or two of the balls out to mm-hmm. allow this man to escape where he was promptly arrested and taken away uh, i think uh whether or not what he did was was wrong and or right or whatever, I think the city bears some responsibility. If you have a public monument, even if it has signage saying "Do not climb on it," you need to know that people are still going to going to, to climb and, on it. Yeah. And if there's a hole in it big enough for a man to fall through,
2: yeah, that's that's. Seems... I don't even know if I could resist not climbing on it. Like if I walk past, like that's what I would want to do, like immediately. Yeah,
1: or at least lean
2: against it with all your weight against it. Yeah, or s- spray painted a, a giant penis on it. Like yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to help it'd myself. Be, it'd be tough not to. Um, yeah, yeah. It reminds me when I look at it. Um, at first, it reminded me of like um, an egg sac. You know, like a maybe like spiders' eggs or something mm-hmm. like you know before that. it hatches. But it also reminds me in the movie the the Gremlins. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular Gremlins 2, when they poured water on the backs of the Gremlins, oh, and yeah. yeah, like it, it would start up. to bubble up. Okay. That's what that's what that art piece reminds me of.
1: I get the reference because I watched Gremlins with my five-year-old just this uh, just this past Christmas. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. We have in, here in Halifax, someone, uh, Jay McLeod in the chat is referencing something in Halifax called the wave.
2: And Yeah, I was thinking of that, yeah.
1: On the Halifax waterfront, we have uh, like a concrete kind of sculpture that looks like a large wave, and there's signs all around it that say like, do not climb up the wave. The thing's probably 15 feet high, but of course, children and adults will run up, get onto the top of the wave, then sit on their butts and slide down. Mm-hmm. But the problem is if you, it's very easy to fall off of it because it's kind of like a polished concrete giant wave and it's surrounded by just regular concrete sidewalks. So if you fall, it's a pretty good you know, drop down on the hard concrete. Um, I have a family member who worked as an emergency room physician in Halifax uh, for a couple summers and they had told me that You know, during the summer when tourism season's in, like every second day, there was someone showing up who like broke their wrist or sprained their ankle climbing up the wave. It's just endless. And it's right on our waterfront where all the tourism is.
2: Yeah. And the shape and size of it, it just begs you to climb it and slide down on it. Uh,
1: You have in in Sydney, Cape Breton, I guess your big monument would be that giant fiddle. But I don't think there's too much trouble you can get into with a big fiddle. No,
2: you can't really climb it. There's not much you can really do to it. So that one's, you know, a lot of people complain that it's hokey or it's tacky, whatever. But uh, in terms of not attracting trouble, it, it seems to stay out of trouble, the giant fiddle.
1: Good. Let's get on to the next story. Something altogether different. I want to talk about taxis for a little bit and Ubers to a lesser extent Um, but we have a couple stories related to taxis going wild we'll do this as a kind of lightning round and just kind of fire through them but the first one is something I in a way can relate to because I just uh, during March break I was in Florida and I had to um, pay people in a different currency outside of the country that I'm in and it's I don't know just a little bit uncomfortable but we have the story here of a Toronto woman who had a a charge for a taxi in another country i guess blow up into something altogether more problematic or troublesome than anything i found myself in in florida listen to the mess she got in
5: a couple from orangeville went to the dominican republic for a sunny holiday when they were leaving they took a taxi to the airport they later discovered the driver charged them more than four thousand dollars for a 20-minute cab ride
6: this was our first time traveling uh, just post the pandemic.
5: Anastasia Brower from Orangeville and her fiancé traveled to Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic this past February. On the last day of their trip, they took a taxi from their resort to the airport. Brower paid with her credit card.
6: I put in my PIN. I saw the amount that I was paying. It was 36 U.S. dollars and uh, after the transaction went through, I handed back the machine and we all parted ways.
5: But after she got home, she noticed on her credit card statement she had been charged more than $4,600 for the taxi ride.
6: It was a 19-minute trip, and I felt like I, you know, should have driven across uh, the Dominican about five times to make that payment worthwhile.
5: Brower used her Bank of Montreal MasterCard, and when she contacted BMO to explain what happened, she thought the charges would be reversed, and she was shocked when they weren't. The dispute resolution department said we do not have any billing dispute rights to further your case. Unfortunately, we're unable to process credits to your account.
6: I'm quite upset that they're actually not handling the situation well at all.
5: BMO said customers are responsible to ensure the correct amount is displayed on a point-of-sale terminal before authorizing a transaction. Brower is adamant the amount she saw on the terminal was for $36 U.S. and says banks should do more to combat fraud.
6: They should ramp up their security, they should really crack down on this, and uh, they should stop putting it on the uh, on their customers.
1: So uh, I'm gonna break this story up into two sections because we do have an update shortly that will give us a bit more information that, that we'll get into. But at this point in it, what is your theory? According to, according to Anastasia, she gets in the cab on the little machine, it says whatever it was, $36 American, she put in her code, Gets out of the cab, goes on her way. It's not until she's back in Canada that she sees they were actually billed four thousand six hundred and thirty-four dollars. What do you think happened?
2: Um, <clears throat> hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I, she says that she saw, like, we you know when she was when she was paying for the, you know, the transaction, and she said that she saw that it was the right amount when she was paying. With her credit card. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until she got home that she noticed that it was 4000 and some dollars. So I, I, I guess I have to take that as fact. Mm-hmm. Because how else do you really approach this story? But it's mm-hmm. possible that she did read it wrong. Either way, she was swindled. It seems as though. Yeah, so it doesn't matter how you slice this. She either the person did type in. 4000 and some dollars and then she didn't notice and went through with the transaction or they somehow they put the right amount through at first and then they went back and charged it the $4,000 after the fact. Mm. I the, don't know can you do that? Can you change I, a transaction? I don't know if you can or not.
1: I don't know but I have a theory and it's something from personal experience. I remember many moons ago when I was just a teenager I worked at a McDonald's and I often worked like the front cash, like uh, the cash register or whatever, and taking people's mm-hmm. orders. And I do remember one time that somebody bought something and it was, let's say, their order was $7.22. I hit it wrong and I ended up charging them $722. and then i had to like you know apologize and the charge went through and i had to get my manager and they can't like they refunded them and all this stuff and we caught it at the time but it was like this big complicated mix-up and had they had walked off i would never have known and i don't think it they would have come back a month later i guess and had to figure it out with the manager but anyway let that be the background of my of my theory or my opinion but keep in mind she's a canadian citizen who paid in american in punta Cana. The taxi drive was like, I think at one point in the article, they said $36. And at another point, they said $39. Mm -hmm. But if you consider the difference between Canadian and American funds, if she had been charged, say, $3,600, when you do the conversion, it would end up being somewhere around $4,632. So I think this is just a matter of them not using the decimal, in charging her like $3600 American maybe her eyes just saw $36.10 or whatever sure. although there was no decimal she approved it when it gets converted into Canadian it now shows 4632 that was my theory reading through this but at the but when i thought that i thought you know that should be something where you call your bank and they get in touch with this cab company and it's Settled pretty quick. So I was yeah. surprised it got to the point that it was actually in the news. But there is an update. Listen okay. to this. Listen okay. to this update.
5: When CTV News reached out to BMO, a spokesperson said, We are in touch with our customer to help correct what looks to be a transaction error made at the point of sale. MasterCard then refunded the entire $4,623, which was great news for Brower.
6: My credit card has been refunded. Uh, So that's good news. Thank you so much to CTV News for helping me out with this.
2: So after the story aired, then magically BMO decides, okay, we'll refund it.
1: Well, that was actually a little bit of podcast production magic. That was all one news report. So because they tell like the way the report went, I I just kind of cut in the center of it there for us to talk. But when you watch that on the news, they tell the whole story and then they end with like, and she got her money back, which what I think happened is uh, they see whoever the news, I think it was global, was doing that news story. I think they spent a bunch of time doing the story. And then when they reached out to the bank, the bank was like, oh, my God, like the news is interested in this. And they just figured it out and refunded mm. her. But the news people didn't want to back down with their story. So it's like, I guess we still got to air it, even though it's like a problem solved
2: yeah yeah, because she thanked CTV or CTV? Yeah, so it's- yeah, so I was like, oh, did this story air? And then they the bank saw it and decided to refund it to avoid any further uh public relation damage but no
1: it was just uh, i think the the bank when ctv contacted them they probably took her complete the customer complaint seriously solved the problem but ctv still needed to fill a new slot in the evening news and spent all that time pursuing the story that they're like let's Mm -hmm. just air it anyway and end with and she got her money back
2: yeah yeah kind of weird i mean i was surprised i don't know if i was surprised but i was disappointed slash surprised Earlier in the story, when the bank was refusing to refund the charge, because clearly either way, you know, it's a mistake. Mm -hmm. So why won't you refund it?
1: I think the reason why is because they don't want to just, they don't want to deal with someone calling and complaining. And it's it's different story when the news calls looking for comment than when your customer calls, I would say, imagine the way that call goes. But this like, is the problem though. Like the customer, horrible. that's the power of media, especially when it comes to like consumer complaints and consumer affairs type thing. Um, and I, and I'm living proof. One only needs to Google my name and you'll find stories about how the news can be used to, um, to back you up on a complaint with a large manufacturer of product that you feel wronged you. But Mm -hmm. I think in this place, uh, in this case, imagine you call your bank and you're like, I was in Punta Cana, some other country, and I got this cab and they charged me too much. I'm sure they are just like, oh my God, like this has nothing to do with us. You need to figure that out with Punta Cana. That's Maybe. that's how I see this happening, and then CTV calls and they're like, "Oh, Christ! Like
2: we got to deal with that Punta Cana call." Yeah, but it's such a significant amount that that's true. It's not like twenty dollars here or forty dollars there. Like this is forty six hundred dollars. Like, that's this true. Is clearly, a massive mistake that they should they should remedy.
1: Yeah, well, and they did,
2: but it's eventually, just, yeah, I, it's
1: it's just a shame that the escalation process for that kind of complaint involves going on television
2: yeah and 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 if everybody has to start going to to, to news uh organizations now to like everybody has to get on television to get a problem solved yeah. then eventually television is going to shut its doors on people be like we have too many people who are <laughs> you know looking for refunds and they're always well, trying to get stories here
1: it could be kind of a supplement to. Remember, we had the Home Shopping Network. Yeah, there it's kind of like the dark version of that. It could be like the Consumer Complaints Channel because, like, you know, people will be like, "I'm going to the Better Business Bureau," or "I'm going to like write about this on Twitter." And I think men, like, companies hear that so much they probably don't take it seriously. But if it was a channel on television that all day was just one after another person explaining to
2: you <laughs> how they were ripped off what would the ratings be for that though? Would people really want to sit back I would
1: watch. Be magical. and
2: watch that and watch that people complain about products they bought and, and
1: bad customer service. That would be an
2: amazing channel. Could you imagine... you imagine being the producer on that show? Like you would want to take your own life, but
1: <laughs> I would watch it. It would be amazing late night television. Just people from, you know, small town Canada complaining about, you know, the bad service at, wherever tim hortons or walmart or canadian tire uh yeah i would watch it i think i wish something like that would exist
2: and then the you know the bananas were bruised and i <laughs> I wanted to make banana bread
1: oh uh, yeah, yeah uh let's get it so this segment we're calling um taxis gone wild it's not just this punta cana taxi uh, i want to play a little story about something that's been a bit of a a plague around Montreal that relates to fake taxis. And I think this one is really interesting. We'll talk about it in a sec. Listen to this.
7: Passengers leaving Trudeau Airport can always catch a cab at the arrivals level. But lately, drivers say customers are being intercepted inside by illegal taxi drivers.
2: It's very hard. It's very hard for us. Every time we fight with them.
7: Since January, Aéroport de Montréal says it's recorded close to 400 incidents relating to illegal transportation. Taxi drivers without permits to operate at the airport are soliciting customers in the terminal, offering them a ride for a fee.
4: At the beginning, it was like, it looks like something normal
7: when Francois Miette got in a driver's car in December He says the driver got aggressive and insisted he pay more money.
4: We paid what we were expecting to pay but it was not a nice uh, a nice drive.
7: Taxi Champlain president George Busio says the deregulation of the taxi industry in 2019 created the problem
5: For about five six years i've been saying we will become the wild west and we have become the wild west
7: the montreal taxi bureau which monitored the industry no longer exists and the airport can do little besides giving citations for illegally parked or unattended cars but busio says there's nothing stopping regular people from picking up passengers
5: it's not the taxi industry. It's not taxi drivers
3: doing this.
7: Aéroport de Montréal says it's asking the government to make solicitation illegal again and make sure taxis with permits are the only ones picking up passengers.
1: So here's here's why I thought that was important. Is uh, Anyone who listens to my show for any length of time would have heard a past episode I did all about a person in Halifax who for years has been operating as something between an uber and a taxi and just a straight up creep in a car offering people rides home late at night this idea that it's happening on a massive scale in montreal with people just showing up at the airport like hustling trying to get you in your car to get some of your money that just seems dangerous to me does that worry you at all getting in a random car with people
2: uh no you do I, it. honestly okay i i don't i wouldn't be i wouldn't be worried i would if I was at the airport, I'd be using Uber, and I would see the, you know, the the license plate of the car that I'm that's supposed to pick me up, and the driver's name, and then I check that when I get into an Uber. Mm, okay. Um. So I, I'm always very certain that. That's my Uber and they have a good rating on Uber and I I, I check all the boxes. You're
1: not being touched um, anywhere weird by these people. Um, yeah, I, th- I think. Know, I
2: mean, I at a very young age, you know, especially in the 80s, they really drilled home on us about not talking to strangers, not getting into cars with strangers, especially when they're offering you rum butter bars. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, so I guess you are safe. It's maybe people older than us or a lot younger than us that we need to worry about. But it sounds like what's happening in Montreal is you get off of the plane and some of these drivers are inside, like soliciting and asking, like you need a ride, come on, like come on, you know. Oh yeah. Or or they're outside, just parked there, looking like cabs and I could see how someone in a hurry or whatever could just end up jumping in one and just my thought and where my head goes maybe it's because I see the worst in people in the world most usually Is just this idea of like just some random person shows up in a different city or in a different country and they end up getting in like one of these unregistered unregulated cabs and find themselves in a bad situation. I don't know. It just freaks me out. I I don't like the idea it. doesn't just
2: happen. It doesn't just happen at the airport. Like ever since Uber exploded and and became one of the main ways that people get around, um, not in my town. You can't, there are no Ubers in Cape Breton, but Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever. Yeah. I'd love it. I love Uber. Uh, Whenever I go to Halifax or Toronto, that's how I get around. But It happened to me in Toronto where we ordered an Uber and then somebody saw us waiting, which looked like we were waiting for an Uber, pulled up because we were standing outside a hotel and we looked like we were waiting for a ride. So he pulled up and pretended to be our Uber. Oh, sketchy. Yeah. And we were like, no, no, that's we're waiting for an Uber. He's like, oh, yeah, hey, come on in. And I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) you're not our driver. You're not our Uber. We'll wait for our Uber. Um, he's like, oh, I'll take you to the airport. You know, come on, come on. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> no. I've I don't care how, how many the, yeah, I don't I've care seen... how much candy you offer me, sir. Yeah. I am not. I getting... know
1: how this right. I know how this story
2: ends. Mm, um, it ends with him and I getting married. <laughs> and for every people, time.
1: And for people who are unfamiliar with the story that I referenced, uh, listen to my past episode about the glove guy. This story uh reminded me so much of him, so they get why maybe I'm so um conservative about the regulation uh of taxis um anyway we can move away from taxis here but i do want to talk to you about something else which is the world's largest rubber duck which is coming to toronto did you see Uh a picture
2: of this thing not yet i read the story i did not see a picture
1: the picture shows what appears to be like the kind of little like yellow rubber duck you would have in your bathtub if you were a baby or something except the thing is Giant. It's enormous. It's massive. It towers over the buildings and the waterfront, towers over the passing boats and ferries. It looks amazing. It's coming to Toronto. Let me read you a little something. The world's largest rubber duck is scheduled to return to Toronto this fall. The 60 foot tall, 14.5 ton inflatable bird, sometimes called mama duck, will make an appearance at the Toronto Waterfront Festival September 16th and 17th. And this isn't the duck's first rodeo. Toronto last hosted the Enormous Yellow Bird in 2017, when the duck made a splash in Toronto for Canada's 150th anniversary. The number one program we continue to get asked to bring back is by far the world's largest rubber duck, said Nancy Gavin, the chair of the Toronto Waterfront Festival. After six years, we are very excited to have Mama Duck back to Toronto's waterfront to celebrate the last weekend of summer. In 2017, 75%. The Waterfront Festival visitors said that the rubber duck was their main reason for attending. So this is a popular duck. It's yeah. coming back.
2: I'm looking uh, at a picture of it right now, and it looks just like a rubber duck. It's inflatable. Uh, we were talking about... Um, I'd know, love sc- to cut it with a knife.
1: That's what I'm thinking. The talus balls inspire people to climb up and fall in and spray paint penises yeah. on them. We need, to, we need to
2: get this duck.
1: A rubber duck? I don't know. I feel like...
2: It has 16, the advantage,
1: yeah. 16-year-old Jordan would be like, I can take that duck out.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 43-year-old <laughs> Aaron wants to take <laughs> it out right now. Like, I'm just looking at it. I'm like, see, it has the advantage of being out in the water. Mm. So you'd have to canoe out to it or... Scuba deer. Scuba gear. It Scuba would be dive, like a... yeah, come up from below, yeah. You could
1: have your headphones playing Mission or Impossible. Or if you could theme. train,
2: like, a, a piranha or... A... <laughs> you know, a small shark or something. Um, You could probably hit it with a bow and arrow. Oh, that's the way to do it. Um, Right from, yeah, right from any building on the water. Yeah, a a solid uh, crossbow, bow and arrow. Okay,
1: I fear we're crossing some kind of legal boundaries. Let's just make the disclaimer. We do not think anyone should do this
2: no if, yeah sure whatever
1: if it was a video game let's say we're playing i don't know grand theft auto and at one point, and there's like this downloadable content that will put a gigantic rubber duck in the middle of the harbor in the game yeah the first thing i would do when i turned on the game next would be like i'm taking out that duck and with a bow and arrow yeah from a building yeah that'd be pretty crazy uh as oh, far that's
2: as the way to do it or a ninja star
1: uh, aside from taking out the duck and vandalism and all these other things that we enjoy talking about so much, what's the point of this duck? Do, I guess you take a, I answered my own question. What people like about these kind of things is just taking a
2: selfie in front of it and putting it online.
1: I guess this is just so yeah. you can take a picture of yourself.
2: It's just another Instagrammable moment in, in this the, dystopian in thousands world. Thousands and thousands of Instagrammable moments that people have in their lives. Oh, what a horrible time to be alive oh it's the worst we live in the worst time mm-hmm. in it's human history yeah and <laughs> that includes the plague that includes you know. pre-penicillin when you
1: would die yeah, from like, yeah growth.
2: that includes you know uh, prehistoric times you mm-hmm.
1: know. yeah i'd yeah, rather everything. be beaten with a rock
2: in a cave
1: than deal with these selfies
2: yeah
1: uh, i was Me driving too. the other day and um not too far from my house and there's a bus stop and I just saw like I couldn't really tell what was going on when I was from a distance I thought someone was maybe being like attacked by bees or something but when I got up close I realized that it was a lady who had her phone kind of like propped against a tree and she was just like dancing facing the camera but really Mm. passionately and I was like oh that's just what TikTok does to people
2: oh whenever I look at TikTok I'm just like this is we're just collapsing we're <laughs> collapsing like this is the things that we look at for entertainment now mm. people lip-syncing and 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 putting their children on display you know to be humiliated for the rest of their lives it's yeah just, uh, that's what we do now it's so brutal we we're pretty just a trash society
1: yeah it's awful uh, we're pretty old this conversation we're having is like
2: oh yeah anybody under the age of 35 is is turning the podcast off right now <laughs>
1: Um, Well, we should wrap it up. When we start complaining about kids and the world uh, that we used to live in being better than the current one and how far we used to have to walk to school and such, it's time to
2: end it. We've done what we had to do. Screaming to get those giant ducks off our lawn. (laughs) Um,
1: Let's end it with that. Uh, Handsome Aaron Airport, until next time.
2: Jordan, until next time.
1: Find a rum and butter bar and let me know what you think.
2: I probably won't find one because I've never seen them ever before in my life. I don't believe they truly exist.
1: (laughs) I want to thank you for helping Aaron and I fulfill our mandate to keep Canada weird. But let us also call out for even greater support. If something weird happens in your neck of the woods, let us know. And the best way to let us know is by sending it in a voice memo via nighttimepodcast.com. We hope to hear from you. Now, before we wrap up the episode, I'm going to give some thanks. A big thanks to Aaron for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A shout out to the internet's favorite cult leader, Unicol, who provides the series intro and outro voiceovers. And lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you to every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. Now, on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Shandel, Emma, and Kay. Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, but can't do it by way of a premium feed subscription, you can help keep Canada weird by simply sharing this episode on social media. If anyone listening has any story ideas, wants to give feedback on the show, or would like to contribute anything in a voice memo to be aired and responded to in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com. We hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, Let us know if you see anything weird The Nighttime
0: Podcast is written, hosted and produced by Jordan Bonaparte
5: Copyright, Jordan Bonaparte